on Deshaun, I know you guys will ask a question, and I appreciate that. I don't have much to add. Uh, I don't have a ton of information for you. We have a plan, uh, and as information becomes available, we can adjust that plan. Uh, but short of that, I really don't have too much that I can uh, provide. Uh, Jacoby's our backup quarterback. If Deshaun's unavailable, Jacoby's the starter. Are your expectations for, for the season the same regardless of how long Deshaun plays, how long he doesn't play, and that whole situation. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't change regardless of how that situation works itself out. And we're going to hold ourselves to a you know, high standard you know, no matter what happens. You know, defense is going to do what they do. And, you know, last time I heard, they can't win if they don't score points. Kevin Stefanski and Miles Garrett talking about the Deshaun Watson situation. And it really isn't a stunner that Jacoby Brissett is the guy, but – Included within that message is the idea that if Watson is out for most or all of the year, it's still Jacoby Brissett. When Brissett was signed, there was a vibe that it's going to be maybe six games and Brissett's the guy that would step in. If it becomes 17, it's still Brissett. But I think the deeper message is they don't really believe it's going to be the whole season. I think at most they believe it's going to be eight. I've reported they're bracing for eight. And so Brissett's the guy. They're not going to go get Jimmy Garoppolo. They're not going to try to do some other deal and bring somebody else in. Cam Newton had been mentioned a few weeks back. Yeah, no. no. It's Jacoby Brissett backed up by Josh Dobbs or Josh Rosen. That's what the depth chart's going to be. Yeah, that's what they're going with. That's fine. They don't want to confuse things. You know, I've, I've had people ask me about yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo, but, like, it's just going to make things, you know, dysfunctional at some point. Or what if you're doing really good with Jimmy Garoppolo? And he's eight and zero, and you guys are seven and what? You're gonna oh, we got Deshaun Watson. We paid him all this money. We're gonna bench Jimmy Garoppolo. It just causes more problems than it's worth. They they signed this group of quarterbacks knowing what could happen, and signed it and did it knowing that maybe Deshaun won't be there, but Jacoby Brissett's played a lot of football, and he's capable of holding down the fort. And you know, I like you. I, I've heard from some people in the league that you know, again, I don't think they know for sure, but I think the feeling, yeah, I think we've talked about this the last two days. You know, I've heard twelve, ten. It's going to go back down to ten or eight, something like that. So that seems to be where it's going to go. And I, I don't doubt the Cleveland Browns with Jacoby Brissett. You know, either way, their team has got to be ready to go. As awesome as Deshaun Watson is, even if he can play Week One, I don't think he's going to be the Deshaun Watson we saw. So they got to be able to play some defense, be a little bit more dominant against the better teams in football this year, run the football, and do that. You know, we talked about a lot at the end of last season. They're a disappointing football team. They could still, in my opinion, and like if, they, if Deshaun Watson got suspended the whole year and we were sitting here in December and we were going, man, the Browns and Jacoby Bursett are in the playoff conversation. They win the last two games, they might sneak in. I don't think that's shocking when you talk about a team that's arguably got the best offensive line in football, got a really good defensive line, got good linebackers, got an unbelievable corner duo, good safeties, receivers, okay, they improved the position, good tight end play, maybe the best duo at running back. I mean, listen, when you say it out loud, you start to go, wait, why can't Cleveland hold down the fort and go five and three with Jacoby Brissett? Why, why can't they? Their team, the roster is, is really damn good. So I give them a fighting chance even with Jacoby. I don't, I don't know how do you feel about that, Mike. I don't disagree with that at all. Brissett quietly has 37 starts during his time in the NFL between right. the Patriots, the Colts, and the Dolphins. And this was a strategic move, a short-term Band-Aid until right. Deshaun Watson is back 
however long he may be gone. And remember, the procedure, fairly simple at this point. Judge Sue L. Robinson, the independent disciplinary officer hired by the NFL and the NFLPA, will issue a decision at some point. I'd like to think it would come this week, but who knows if any discipline at all is imposed by her. Either side can appeal it. The question is, if it's light, will the NFL exercise its prerogative to appeal to the commissioner who could then say, sorry, Sue, four games, not going to cut it. And I really do believe, Chris, I don't know how much we talked about this yesterday because I did a few radio spots and it's the the first topic or one of the first topics everybody wants to ask about, I really do believe that the NFL is going to pay very close attention to the reaction to Judge Robinson's decision. Yeah, right. And if it is overwhelmingly negative, they have a way to fix it. They appeal to the commissioner who can say, hey, everyone out there who is mad that Deshaun Watson was only suspended four games, I, the guy whose name is on every football, is going to make it 17. I mean, that still can happen. That's the way the procedure is. So either way, it needs to get done. Because look at what the Browns are doing for now. they got to get both guys ready. That's something else Stefanski said yesterday. They're splitting the reps between Watson and Brissett because Watson's got to be ready whenever he plays. And Brissett's got to be ready most likely week one. Yeah, I know. It's, It's a balancing act. They're in a tough situation. Like we said a lot of times in the spring, man, they put Kevin Stefanski in some bind with this whole thing. They did. I mean, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a juggling act. Wait, a guy that hasn't played football in a year, we got to get him reps. We're paying him all the money. We know he's the guy, and we want him when he does play halfway through the year or whenever that he can play and be really good for us. But wait, I got to worry about a guy that's probably going to have to start for us week one and week two and, and really play for us right away. It is. That doesn't make life easy in practice. Definitely doesn't. You know, as he goes on through training camp here, I would think he's got to wane down Watson's reps with the first team and kind of rev up Jacoby Brissett, which stinks again for Watson for a guy who hasn't been playing for a year. So, yeah, they 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 got some work to do in there in Cleveland, but they got a good football team. They really do, and I think they can be very very competitive and a big pain in the butt with Jacoby Brissett. I made a detour last segment away from what we were supposed to talk about, and I want to make another mild detour because I'm checking the clock and we're doing well on time. Famous last words. You mentioned Garoppolo earlier. Yeah. He's not in our rundown for today, but I do want to just touch on this because I think this is fascinating. Kyle Shanahan addressed Garoppolo's workload yesterday. What's he doing? Basically, whatever the hell he wants. Comes in and throws for a little bit leaves they're letting him do whatever he wants so they are basically just squatting on this guy while they wait for a trade and he's going along with it he could try to insist on being more involved be more present I'm part of the team he could get the union involved what are they look what they're doing to me they're putting me on ice here while they wait for a chance to trade me and then they're just going to cut me if they can't trade me that's bullcrap I want to be released now, and I'm surprised he's going along with this, Chris, unless he's realized the ultimate best-case scenario for him is to have that catastrophic injury to a starter elsewhere because then there is a trade to be had by the 49ers immediately, and And there's $25 million to be had by Jimmy Garoppolo immediately as well. I think that's I, Mike I, I think that's it. I don't think there's early guessing there. That would be my, you know, guesstimation of that. That's the smart business play. You know, again, there's no place right now to sit there and go, "Oh, I I need to I want to get there right now cuz I'm I can be the starter and go play." Like that's gone. So, wait it out. And 
you know, as we know, and the 49ers have told us, I don't think he's 100% yet. So he's probably doesn't even, he's not itching to get somewhere quite yet. He'd probably like to be closer to 100%. So when he can get there, he can kind of show them what he really is. So I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not shocked to hear that. Yeah, he's, he's, he can make things uncomfortable for them, to your point. So they're going to let him do whatever he wants. They are. And also, I mean, I can't even imagine, you're not going to want to go, you know, in the quarterback room and meetings. You know, it's, it's going to feel weird. You know it's Trey Lance's team. You know you're not really wanted there. You know, it's going to be uncomfortable, you know, for everybody. So that's where I think they're doing their best, both sides here, to kind of just handle the situation. They know it's a tough spot, certainly. Uh, but they have no other choice but to just kind of let him do whatever the hell he wants because they can't piss him off or he can make life tough on them, like you're saying. And the other practical consideration, to the extent that you're hoping that some other team will be interested in employing you, if you go scorched earth to try to get out of your current place of employment, yeah, your future you. employers may look at that and say, we're not sure we really want a guy who's capable of doing that on our team. But it, it really is fascinating. And at the risk of being accused of jinxing Trey Lance, who suffered a couple of injuries in his two starts last year. The ultimate irony would be as they wait for someone to suffer a season-ending injury if it happens in their own backyard oh and they need to keep him on the team because of that. Wouldn't that be something? No, it really would be. That would that would be, I mean, unbelievable. It, it'd be one of those two where I'd go like, I wonder what he'd do. There's a side of me that'd be like, would he be like, I, I don't know if I really want to play for you guys. Good luck with Nate Sudfield. See, see how you do this year. I mean, it really – I would have a side of me that's like that. If I was in his shoes, I'd be pissed off like that. You know, yeah, ultimately, 25 million, 25 million yeah, 25 exactly. Million I'm going to play, and I want to play, so I'm going <laughs> to do that. But I'd want to be like, yeah, man, I'd love to tell you guys to F off and I'm out of here, but I can't. <laughs> Wait until after the last check has cleared. <laughs> right. Then tell him to F off. See you later. Um, and that listen, listen, that's his best way to set the table for an entry into free agency next year. Playing, yes, playing and no playing doubt. well yep. sets the stage for you to go to another team in 2023 and become a starting quarterback. All right, Carolina, that's what Baker Mayfield's trying to do. He needs to play and play well to set the stage to become a starting quarterback next year. We assume he's going to be the starter in Carolina. Not so fast, my friend, as the great Lee Corso would say. Here's Matt Rule, coach of the Panthers, on Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold splitting reps in training camp. Yeah, the first two days we decided to have uh, 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 Sam, well, for day one, Sam took all the one reps with the one group. Uh, Baker took all the two reps with the two group. Excuse me. Tomorrow we'll have Baker take all the reps with the first group. Sam take all the reps with the two group. And, and the thought process being we really wanted our guys to have the ability to um, um, work with the same receivers for the entire day. You know, especially, you know, obviously Baker's, you know, we got the install last night and this morning. He's out here trying to execute it. Uh, so we want those guys to have some consistency at receiver for the first two days, and then we'll start to mix things up a little bit more. And then we had Matt and PJ split the threes. See, yeah, usually when you're splitting reps, you're splitting them in a given practice. When I saw on the internet yeah. they're splitting reps, and then I looked at what he said. Well, no, they're not splitting reps. They're splitting days. Yeah. This right. guy's the one today. The other guy's the one tomorrow. Now, how long is that going to last? I don't know. But, Chris, at some level – at some level, the very fiery and passionate Baker Mayfield has to be asking himself, what the hell's going on here? I'm the first overall pick in the draft. I'm the guy that they brought in because they've seen enough of Sam Darnold, and they're making him the, the starter 
to start training camp? Is this going to continue day after day after day? And is there a chance I'm not going to start week one when the Browns come to town? I, I remember when they did the introductory press conference. We were doing PFTOT at the time. I'm not sure what you were doing. I was working. But uh, nevertheless. I was not. I I, I said it's never going to be any better between Baker Mayfield and the Panthers than it is right now. Once adversity comes, that's when we find out if Baker Mayfield has changed. And this is the initial, you know, like, are they testing him? Are they applying a little pressure to him to see if he's matured, to see if he's going to be a pain in the ass, to see if he's going to complain and grouse and be a problem? Because this is the kind of thing that past Baker Mayfield would be pissed off about. Walking through the door first day of training camp practice and you're not the guy who's getting the reps with the ones when you need the work to get yourself ready to go. Yeah, I, I, I hear everything you're saying there. I do. Uh, but but I think, you know, something you talk about all the time. You know, again, no team just wants to roll out the red carpet or just hand guys anything, right? And, and Baker Mayfield, even though I think you and I both believe that he's better than Sam Darnold, he's not so great that you just go, oh, he's the guy no matter what. They're going to kind of make him earn it. And to Mike, you know, to what we're here, he, he just learned, he's learned the offense last night. He's just getting a hold of this thing. So they don't want to throw him out there and just also go, hey, you're the guy. And then the first week or two of practice are kind of bumpy and not going that well. And then everybody's looking at it going, man, we, they're going to make him the guy. This is not that great. He's, you know, okay, well, they're trying to, you know, let him have some time to learn the offense here, make it look like, hey, he's competing for the job and he beat out the guy and earned it, you know, to what we talk about all the time. I think that. And I think the splitting of the reps on a day-to-day basis – it's not that crazy. That that I've I've heard that approach before from football teams. You know what it does is is like Matt Rule says. It lets the quarterback get in rhythm a little bit, and you get a little feel for. Wait, how does this guy lead the troops all day? Instead of like, hey, it's you. You're leading the troops for three plays, and now the next guy's in for three plays. You know, Sam Darnold gets to kind of have ownership over the first team on the first day. And you can kind of evaluate that. How does he lead? How does he handle yelling at this guy? Or we're having a, a bad part of practice. And then now today, they'll get that experience with Baker Mayfield. And to me, that's where Baker Mayfield's going to separate himself from Sam Darnold is the leadership factor and just the edge he gives the football team. That at least is something I look at. I say all the time as the owner and operator of a media outlet that I love a good story and I really love chaos. So I don't want my desire for chaos to happen in Carolina to cloud my judgment. I like the way you explained it because think of it this way. You already have Robbie Anderson who was not thrilled about the idea right. of adding Baker Mayfield and who later said he's just sticking up for his guy, Sam Darnold. You have to win the locker room. So I guess there's no better way to contrast the two guys then let Sam Darnold continue as the number one guy for the first day of training camp. And then day two, here comes Baker. It's the flip side of the example you used when the Panthers were being linked to Kenny Pickett. What's going to happen when Pickett shows up and the players say Sam Darnold throws the ball better than he does? Well, today's Baker's chance to go out there and perform in a way that makes those guys say, Okay, now we know why you brought him in. Yeah, and exactly right. Exactly right. And I think they're gonna they'll manage him. I'm sure they're gonna, you know, be basic and simple. I will say though, I mean, Baker Mayfield, as we discussed, I, I think he's a better quarterback, he's a better player, he's got a better arm, he plays in the pocket and makes more special throws than Sam Darnold. You know, so that that's where I give him the advantage. And hey, he's you know, we we said he's he's behind, you know, as far as the playbook's concerned. But but in Ben McAdoo's offense, 
it's it's West Coast based, just like Kevin Stefanski. I would think there's going to be a lot of similarities to where he could pick it up pretty quick. So we'll see. It's going to be about that development. And then to what you said, Mike, can he open up some eyes? And do we hear a little chatter, you know, after week one where it's say, hey, both guys are doing good. But, man, Baker made a few throws last week. Woo, man. You know, that that's what you start to hear as camp goes on. And that's what I'll, I'll have my ears, you know, listening for. Yeah, hey, it's uh, it, it's going to be fun to see how it plays out, and it's going to be, again, from my own selfish perspective, fascinating to see what happens when inevitable adversity strikes. Has Baker Mayfield learned anything from his time in Cleveland, or does he just blame it all on the Browns the way Carson Wentz uh, did last year when he got to Indianapolis? He was able to blame it all on the Eagles. What's going to happen this year? It really will be Fun to watch. And, look, the Panthers could still be pretty good. I know. NFC wide open. Yes. The the wild card spots are wide open. Wide open. And the Panthers, you look at the rest of the division beyond the Buccaneers. We don't know what the Saints are going to be. We we have a pretty good idea what the Falcons are going to be, and it's not good. The Panthers have an opportunity to finish second in the division. And if you finish second in the division, you got a pretty good chance of making it into the wild card pool and, yeah. and again for Baker Mayfield if he wins the job and plays all year and it goes well that sets him up for next year no doubt they need the offense to show up and and you're saying it right their team's good you look at the roster you know they're young their offensive line was an issue but it was the number three defense in football they got corners growing on trees there they're very talented at all three levels of their defense it's one of the most talented defenses in the game it's the offense that was the problem last year you know, whether that was Joe Brady, you know, Sam Darnold, McCaffrey getting hurt, yeah, blah, blah, blah. They got to be better and more consistent on that side of the football. If they can be an offense that's in the middle of the pack in the NFL, I think they can be one of those teams you're talking about where we go, man, Carolina's got a chance to make the playoffs. I think they have that type of talent. I do. Receivers are going to be a key for the Carolina Panthers and elsewhere. As mentioned earlier, we're going to have a draft of the best receiving cores in the NFL coming up later in the program. For now, though, plenty of receivers who still want to get paid. Who's holding in, not holding out until they get their money? We'll discuss that next on this Thursday edition of PFT Live. We're working, and uh, I don't have any update for you, So, uh, but we're working. Foot or is he making a statement? Is it a foot? No, it isn't. He passes physically. He's fine. You sounded pretty optimistic when we walked in June that the deal would be done ahead of camp. Right? We're hoping so. We're hoping so. We shot for it, you know, but we're we're right there now, and uh, there's a lot of work being done, like right now. We had a little conversation yesterday about whether and to what extent there was any shoe polish in the hair of Kyle Shanahan. It was hard to tell through that visor, but looks like a little blonde. <laughs> I'm not going like to lie. A little blonde has crept into the 70-year-old Pete Carroll's hair. I stuck up for my friend yesterday. I don't, I don't think he'd put anything in his hair, but I, I, I can't say that for Pete. I don't know him well enough, but that did look blonde to me, I will say. It didn't look so gray. It looked more towards my, my color. And uh, I don't know. Usually when you're past 70, your hair doesn't turn my color. <laughs> uh, unless that that's somehow attached to the visor. Maybe that's the look. Maybe. maybe it's not dye your hair. It's just put on a visor that gives you a little flouncy thing on top that people think. I like the visor. Actual. I'll say that. Yeah. I do. And, and I, cool. Look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Pete Carroll guy. And, and I'm not going to shame anyone who, well, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, you are. No, chooses, you're shaming them. <laughs> well, well, but, but I, it's just... 
it's so obvious to not even the trained eye. It's it's just uh, and you know I I did it to you on Monday when you show up with this big thick head of hair that I think was encroaching beyond your natural scalp borders. I'm like, hey man, you got would you go see the doctor during the five weeks we were off? I'm not just you know, but uh, I don't know. I, don't, I again I experimented with it in the past. wasn't for me. Fortunately, these lights do me justice, as the folks who watched PFTOT learned. And and some of them were more than willing to tell me, man, you got a lot of gray hair. Yeah. Yes, All right. thank you. You look good with grays, man. It's good. I'm, I, I'm, you're, I'm, you're, I'm fine with it. it. But that's the, right. Embrace, embrace who you are because that sends a much, I think to me, it sends a much more powerful message of confidence to the world sure. than clumsily trying to be something you aren't. And you think you're outsmarting people when you dip your head in a vat of black ink. My point is it doesn't. Yeah. It really doesn't. I know. I know. I don't get it either. I don't know. You know, but I guess it's a young man's game. And when you're getting up there in age, you know, coaching a football team and all that, maybe you, you know, start to become a little, you know, not, not insecure about it or just want to make sure you don't look like you're the old man in the building. Maybe that's the thought that, that, that a lot of these coaches have. The most powerful voice that any of us can have in our lives is a spouse who is willing and able to say, what the hell are you doing? That has <laughs> saved me. For all the messes that I have managed to create on my own, that has saved me from countless more. All right, the mess in Seattle, DK Metcalf, he is in camp. He's not practicing. It's not because of the foot injury. It's because he's negotiating a contract. The hold-in. We saw it work last year for T.J. Watt in Pittsburgh. It's the new trend, and it's a balance. The team would prefer that he practice, but it's better than the guy not being there. He's there. Once he's there, it's very hard to leave. He's there. He's in meetings. He's around, and we'll work on the contract, and eventually he'll be on the field practicing and playing. I mean, that's the key. I remember we talked about it last year, Chris, with T.J. Watt. If they don't work out a deal at some point, they got to say, here's your helmet. Let's get to work. Right. But they got it worked out, and I think there's optimism they'll get it worked out with DK Metcalf. Yeah, it seems like it. It seems like we haven't heard much negative out of there, that it's all going in the right direction. You know, the thing I'm interested in, and, and DK Metcalf, certainly, you know, for my money, one of the, the 10 best receivers in football, you know, but, but you know, what, what's that number? Where is it? You know, that, that's the thing I'm interested to see. Is it? Are we going to broach the Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill type of number here with DK Metcalf? You know, I, I, I certainly could see that. I don't think that's crazy, especially for a guy that's younger than both of those guys and has a lot of football left in front of him. So what's the sweet spot for some of these guys that are, are waiting for their new contract? That, I, that, to me, is probably what they're struggling over a little bit, is just where is he going to rank here in, in these contracts and what's, what's fair to both sides? Fascinating time for receivers because there's so many good ones coming out every year in the draft. You're not guaranteed to get one, though. For every Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf, there's a Nikhil Harry floating around. But at the same time, you've got some great ones that teams are willing not just to pay but trade for, whether it's the Dolphins and Tyreek Hill or the Eagles and A.J. Brown or the Raiders and Devontae Adams. So it really is a crazy time. But this is part of, I think, the internal push and pull in Seattle. There may have been a thought by John Schneider, let's just tear it all down. Pete Carroll wants to at least have something that they can build around. And, and again, it's going to be fascinating, Chris, this year to see if they take full advantage of DK Metcalf, if they use the Debo Samuel playbook or just find other ways to get the ball in his hands yeah, they other got than to. 
run down the field and try to get open. There are right. ways, as you've said countless times, to get a football in a receiver's hands without relying upon him to get open when he's facing double coverage everywhere he goes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they have not been the most creative of getting DK Metcalf the ball. And, I mean, again, we, we, we talked about it a lot last year. How many times did we come in here and go, man, they only threw the ball to DK twice on Sunday or the first three quarters he never got a ball in his direction like that that's insanity that they can't go down like that uh he's he's a physical freak and I just uh I just don't know yes exactly how are they going to value him with this current status of their football team I would think you know there was a thought that really they were going to tear it down there in Seattle and I'd heard some people I trusted around the league that you know that there was a lot of people in the building that wanted a complete tear down and that Pete was kind of the one that was like, wait, no, lock it. You know, DK, I don't want to tear it down to that extent. They still give us a fighting chance. And I got to think DK knows that. And that gives him a little leverage, too, in the fact. So I, th- that's where, like, what do you think, Mike? Just, like, guesstimate. You know, what, what, is he going to be the highest paid receiver in football? Is he going to be more in the DeAndre Hopkins $27 million a year type of number? Where do you think it all well, shakes out here? And And this gets back to the – the constant disconnect between new money yeah, I know. and real value right. at signing. I think they'll probably polish it up to come in around twenty seven, twenty eight million a year. Yeah. Right? Or maybe throw on some you know, like Tyreek Hill. Right. Tyreek Hill's got a phony ass final year on his contract that pushes the total average of thirty million. It's not a thirty million dollar a year deal. It's three years, twenty five million as a practical matter. So I could see him getting something along the lines of what Tyreek Hill got with a phony back end that's maybe just a little bit better so he can say he's the highest paid player at his position in the NFL. But it's a combination of how the deal gets sold versus what the deal really is. And he's still got that one year left on his rookie contract, so to be an extension on yeah. that, I could see a four- or five-year extension that on paper makes him the highest paid player in uh, the NFL at the receiver position, but then when we dig into it, we'll find out what it's yeah. really worth. But yeah. either way, he deserves it. And it looks like they're going to give it to him. Same as Debo Samuel. We mentioned him. He's another hold in. He's present for 49ers training camp. He's not practicing. John Lynch, the GM of the team, said earlier this week he's hopeful that they will have something to announce in the near future. And I think it hinges to Jimmy Garoppolo. When you got a guy that you don't want on the team anymore, that you've basically already exiled, even though he's still in the building, he's just not there when anyone else is, or he's not mingling with the guys who are actually on the team. That $25 million that's going to disappear when they unload him is going to go right into Debo Samuel's pockets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right? I mean, it, it's Debo or, or Nick Bosa. I mean, both of those guys. Well, they are, said they're going to wait till next year for Bosa. For Bosa so he's and I guess Bosa's it. fine with that. Yep, okay. Yeah. All right, so cool. So, good. That lets them focus on Debo. You know, Debo, I mean, of course, I, I think even has more power than DK here for things that we stated a bunch of times you know, throughout the spring. One – I don't, and there's no question that he's one of the three best receivers in football, in my opinion. In fact, the only guy I would take over him is Jamar Chase. So that that's the first thing I'll say. And two, with Shanahan in that offense, you know he's he's special. You know, there, again, you know we know there's a lot of talented receivers, but man, is there talented receivers that can play running back like he can, or can catch screen passes like he can, and break the amount of tackles and break ankles and accelerate and run for touchdowns, or do what we saw there? run over the middle and bounce off people and do that. He fits within the system, let alone he's got a v- very big skill set 
and he's ultra talented with one of the most creative offensive coordinators in football. And then you add in the Trey Lance. Oh, man, we'd like to make things a little easier on him. That's where, just to me, I I think Debo will be the highest paid receiver. I do. And maybe that's what Seattle's waiting for. Maybe they're waiting to see where Debo is, and then they can go off of that with DK. But, um, yeah, this this is only a matter of time here, too. Or maybe the players are waiting to see what the one guy does. Maybe. Because then the other one you try to get just a little bit more. But we have come a very long way from earlier in the offseason when Debo went on the record to request a trade. And then remember the video where the folks are walking through the club with the Debo will be on the 49ers next year and they cut to him and he's doing this. A long way he's come from that moment. So DK is going to be with the Seahawks. Debo is going to be with the 49ers. Deontay Johnson. And this Mm. one is a little screwier, right? He's holding in. And he said yesterday it was coach Tomlin's decision that he not practice. And then when Tomlin was asked about it, he said, wasn't my decision. So, you know, there were times last year where when TJ Watt was holding in, you kind of wondered, whether Tomlin's really on board with this or whether he's just comfortable with the message it sends that you can just show up and not practice, especially when he is the king of we want volunteers, not hostages. You're kind of in the hostage category when you're showing up and holding in and refusing to practice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to a degree, but you're still at least there, even though you're not happy about your contract. And that's where a coaches to – you know, dance the fine line there about, you know, understanding the other circumstances that are there, you know, but, but I'm with you in the fact that, you know, you know, one, that's an awkward exchange yesterday. All right. So that obviously something is not on the right page or there, or Deontay Johnson didn't want to take the heat and he thought maybe Mike Tomlin was going to take it for him. Also here too, Mike, what's interesting to me a little bit is just like, Hey, Deontay Johnson, we know he's a really good player. They drafted him. I mean, we know how good they are at, at finding talent at, at the receiver position. But, you know, again, I, I, he's wh- he's another one. I'll go, what's the sweet spot for him? And it's different than DK Metcalf where it's like, will he be the highest paid or the third highest paid or where it's going to be? But Deontay Johnson, he's not, to me, in the class of those two guys. You know, not yet at least. He's not. I mean, again, we're, we're talking about a guy two years ago where he couldn't catch the football. He had the most drops in the in the league, you know. So there, there's those issues there. Really good football player, but I'm interested to see how they balance what they pay him too. I am. As much as I like the guy, he's not as good as DJ Moore at 20 million a year or Terry McLaurin at 22 a year, you know. And then you get into the Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin conversation at 20 million a year with Mike Williams. Is he that good? Is he those guys? I don't know if he is either. So that one's interesting to me too. Let alone when you add in the Chase Claypool is probably going to be in a similar situation here soon, too. And I think he actually has more physical ability than Deontay Johnson. So there's a few factors here in Pittsburgh that intrigue me. And think about it. You've got the market exploding at the position. So guys who haven't gotten paid yet want theirs. Yeah. But not all of these guys are going to be as good as the ones at the top of the market. And the Steelers are very good at drafting receivers anywhere in the draft and working them into competent starters. And they drafted two more receivers this year. You've got Claypool coming behind Deontay Johnson. And a decade ago, they made an offer to Mike Wallace. Wallace said no thanks. 
They gave it to Antonio Brown instead, and Wallace left in free agency. I made the point several weeks ago because Mark Caboli of The Athletic said they're not going to pay either of these guys $20 million a year. It's like, well, then they better be ready to watch him walk away. It's almost like outside linebacker was back in the 90s for it the might Steelers. Be. Yeah. Where, yeah, hey, yeah, but you led the team in sacks, great season, you want to get paid, sorry, it's not going to be here. Put, bring in the next guy. Same thing for the next guy. Sorry, great, thanks for having you. We'll bring in the next guy. They're doing the same thing at the receiver position, and there's a chance that neither guy is Maybe there not. after 2022 20, for Johnson, 23 for Claypool. Yeah, I, I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out too because you, know, you, you stated it correctly, and they have an eye for it. And the guys they drafted this year, I mean, I'm a big fan of. George, George Pickens, the kid they drafted out of Georgia, if he doesn't have injury and out for most of last year, he's, he's a first-round talent at receiver. So he could be that next guy. Calvin Austin, the other kid they drafted out of Memphis, oh, my gosh. I mean, he's you know a smaller jitterbug type, but, but he's got three rockets up his ass, Mike. He can fly. He's going to be one of those type of guys. So you're right. That option is on the table to kind of let it play out and go, wait, we got guys – Coming up the system here, no big deal, you know. And and it's off kilter with Claypool and Deontay Johnson to where you know you're going to have Claypool next year too. So I know that that's one. This one's a little trickier to me, and I, I don't know how this one's going to play out. DK Debo, they're getting done. There's no doubt. It's fine details and fine print. This one, I sit here and go, I don't necessarily. I'm sold. This one's getting done. And I think yesterday's awkwardness between Johnson and Tomlin may be the sign that at some point what's going to happen to Johnson is what we thought could eventually happen with T.J. Watt last year, where they just say, it's time. You're here. It's time to go to work. And then he gets paid this year, and he goes elsewhere next year and gets paid in free agency. Michael Thomas, by the way, got paid a lot of money in 2019, suffered an ankle injury week one of the 2020 season, and hasn't played since then hasn't practiced in 18 months he's back on the practice field as of yesterday he's off of the pup list and uh if if this guy's healthy we throw in chris Olave. now i don't know what Jameis winston's going to do at quarterback but it's going to be a lot better to be an effective quarterback and michael thomas of 2019 is back on the field for the new orleans saints no uh, definitely i mean then you couple him with jarvis landry and alvin Kamara, and you start to go man the saints got something with that defense holy cow yeah, that's that's why, you know, they're they're one of those teams. I think you and I both have our eye on to go. Don't forget about the Saints. But I, I'm I'm going to be interested just to see where he's at physically. Yeah, I mean, he was widely regarded as the best receiver, top two, three receivers in the game. Just an absolute catch monster, 149 catches. But ever since he's gotten paid, hasn't played, and it's been. You know, unflattering stories out of there about him. And, and I think you and I have both heard things behind the scenes. We've heard things that are out on the scene that, you know, he can be a little difficult to, to deal with at times. So uh, another guy that's extremely talented can help their team. Um, but, you know, how good will he be right away to start the season, I think is going to be very interesting and, and be key to their success. These seasons start to blur together. I guess he did play some in 2020. Yeah, remember just, just a, a little weird- bit. It was a weird vibe. He did play seven games, but then after the season, he had ankle surgery and he did it late, and that's what derailed 2021. And there's just been this lingering resentment. And remember, at one point while he was injured, the team leaked the idea that he doesn't treat the people well and he's kind of a diva diva now that he's gotten paid. and uh, So kind of a poisonous relationship. But 
they restructured his contract in the offseason. He's there, and it seems like he's ready to get back to being the guy that he was three years ago. Ben Roethlisberger, the retired Steelers quarterback, made some comments last week that did not sit well with one of the leaders of the Steelers organization. We will discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Ben Roethlisberger, interviewed last week by the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, said a lot of things. One of the topics, modern NFL players and the extent to which they're coddled, said Ben. The team was so important. It was all about the team. Now it's about me and this, that, and the other. I might be standing on a soapbox a little bit, but that's my biggest takeaway from when I started to the end. It turned from a team first to a me-type attitude. It was hard. It's hard for these young guys, too. Social media, they're treated so well in college. Now this new NIL stuff, which is unbelievable, they're treated so special. They're coddled at a young age because college coaches need them to win, too. Here's Cam Hayward, Steelers defensive lineman, responding to Ben's comments about young players being coddled. Man, they rubbed me the wrong way. Um, Ben is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he has played 18 years in our league, all with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I was a little bit upset about it because I was always raised to protect the locker room, um, protect the guys. Um, And the way it seems is, and this is my point of view. This is what I see. Um, it looks as though uh, we're looked at as selfish um, uh, players. And I think that's not the point. I think we have a lot of young players that come from different backgrounds. I think we have guys that um, have experienced different things than what I or somebody else might experience. And that doesn't make them selfish or it doesn't make them more of a me type attitude. There are a lot more guys you think that are team first guys than just me type and attitude. Um, I took offense to that. I, I think when you have young guys, it's up to the leadership to step up, myself included. I'm accountable for uh, those guys. And obviously we haven't had a Super Bowl in a long time. And maybe that's where Ben's like, man, if younger guys had grown up, but man, it's up for the older guys to step up and you know hold guys accountable. And look, when we tweeted a link to the story with Ben's comments about young players being coddled, the reaction I noticed more than any other was every team that wins the Super Bowl has young players. Every team that thrives has young players. You can't say, well, you know, we've only won three postseason games since 2010 because our young players are coddled. And Chris, the other side of this, too, this was a slap at Mike Tomlin. We didn't include it in our quote, but Ben Roethlisberger specifically said, that he wasn't coddled at the University of Miami of Ohio by Terry Hepner. He wasn't coddled by Bill Cowher. Well, he didn't mention Mike Tomlin. And Mike Tomlin has been his coach for 15 years. And I think that what Ben may view as coddling by Tomlin, a guy like Antonio Brown, I think there's a different way to view it. Tomlin is the master at getting the most out of guys who may be inclined to behave in a way that would be problematic. He knows how to speak to the better angels and keep them from going off the rails. I don't know that that's coddling. I think that's good management of difficult personalities. I I, I would agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, again, Mike Tomlin's not making the picks of these guys a lot of the time. That's not him. He's not the GM. So now he has to make it work. Oh, I got this guy. Damn, he's good. Oh, man, he's a little bit of a handful off the field. 
So, okay, I'm going to have to do a few things just to make it work so we can get them on the field. I can make the GM look good. I can make the quarterback look good. And the organization looks good, and I look good. And, yeah, okay, well, he, caught, he got caught a little bit. You know, I bent one little rule for him here and there and whatever else. Okay, but he goes on the football field and performs, and that's the ultimate, ultimate litmus test to be, okay, you want to, you know, cut a few corners or be the man in an organization. It goes on in every organization. You know, so I understand that rubbing Cam Hayward the wrong way too, because I think, you know, Big Ben, first off, if you not viewed necessarily as the greatest teammate in the history of football, I mean, you can go with a lot of players. I know you've talked to some ex-players that would tell you the same thing. So he's not necessarily that. He had his own set of rules with Pittsburgh to a degree too. I mean, hey, I've been at training camp practices there. Practice is starting. Everybody's practicing. Everybody has a helmet on except Big Ben for the first 30, 40 minutes of practice. I don't know. I mean, that's making your own rules, in my opinion. Everybody's wearing, everyone's practicing. Put your helmet on. You know, there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of stories you hear throughout the year. And then, you know, I just don't think it's fair to just blame the current player. Life has changed. The world has changed. When Ben was drafted in 2004, not everybody's life was put on blast on social media all the time. So that's a big issue with some of these young kids. It's different that way. Then you add in the fact that the league has become more of a business now than ever before. So guys got to make some tough decisions and think about me a little bit every now and then. So they get paid. So I I didn't love that Big Ben said that either. I I didn't. It did sound like a little soapbox. I think it did sound a little bit like he's forgetting what he was like as a young football player to a degree. And, um, yeah, I could see it rubbing Cam Hayward the wrong way. Yeah, he was a problem in the locker room early in his career. Right. He was not a popular guy. He not was not well-liked. Surly and standoffish was his reputation. Now, I wasn't there, but I've heard enough over the years to make me believe there was something to it. And he was the king of embellishing and exaggerating injuries. injuries. It started right. in the 2004 AFC Championship game after they lost to the Patriots. The excuse was, I played with two broken toes. And Bill Cowher came out and said, he didn't have any broken toes. What are you talking about? So... So, yeah, I think it's just a I, – I hate to say it's just a good old-fashioned generation gap, but Cam Hayward's point is right on the money. It's for the older players to That's help the, the young Mike, players right. grow and develop. Yeah. It can't all be the coach. The coach has to try to get the best out of the players, but to the extent that there needs to be accountability, to the extent that you need a code red, not that I condone that, but some kind of tough love, some kind of getting a guy's face and telling him what's tolerated and what's not tolerated, what's expected and what's not expected, where the line is between being right. selfish and being, being true to your team. That's where the players have to do it, and I suspect that Ben Roethlisberger probably not. I remember when Emmanuel Sanders went to Denver. Yes, remember that? And and what he said about the difference between Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger. And Pey- Peyton Manning knows how to develop the relationship and ultimately hold the player accountable. And I don't think Ben is either wired to do it or didn't want to do it. He just wanted to show up and play football. That's right. I, that's right. Yeah, big. That's the way Big Ben was. You know, again, you go back to, you know, the interview that I had with him a few years ago, right? Doesn't throw footballs in the offseason. So he's not getting time with those receivers then to get the rapport that you're talking about. You know, hey, I want to do this or do that. That's how you get in the trust tree. Hey, I'm your buddy. We've been on the field together. You know, now when it's week two, I might have to yell at you one time. It won't be that big of a deal because, you know, we're buddies and we had a lot of time together and we've worked on these things and we know it's all coming from a good place. But, yeah, Big Ben is, was not that type of leader. 
He was not. He was, I'm Big Ben, I'm here, you know, I know the playbook, I don't know all the defenses they're going to play, it doesn't really matter, I'll make it happen and we'll win the game. That's kind of the way Big Ben went after it. It was refreshing, it's cool, but it's not Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, that type of guy, where it's just all time, all year long, every day, it just absolutely is everything I do, everything I think about, everything is calculated towards that. That's, that's not the way Big Ben was wired. And, yeah, I think that's going to rub guys like Cam Hayward, who is a team guy, and there's a lot of team guys on Pittsburgh. There is. So I think that's where Cam Hayward's looking at it, too. He's going, wait, let's not just talk about, like, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. We had a lot of other guys here that were – all in on the football team that made them really good. And I think that's where probably Cam Cam Hayward's probably a little pissed about it. Emmanuel Sanders appearing on NFL Network in January of 2019 after the relationship between Antonio Brown and the Steelers became disintegrated, said that Roethlisberger should have taken it on himself to see to it that things never reached the point where Brown ended up on the trade block. Sanders said that he and other Steelers receivers have noticed that Roethlisberger will go on the radio and blame them for problems with the team's passing game, and it wears on them over time. Here's the quote from Sanders. Me and Mike Wallace used to talk about this. If Ben called me out on a radio show, I'd walk up to him and say, don't do that. Keep my name out of your mouth. You're the leader of this team. Be a leader. That's the reason why my comments when I first became a Denver Bronco, I said Peyton Manning is a better leader than Ben Roethlisberger. It's all come to fruition. I don't lie. I don't hate anybody. I just speak the truth. Well, Antonio Brown so, said he didn't hang out with him ever either. I mean, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of these type of stories. So that says a lot, though. Well, what I like about this the most is Ben is willing to talk. Ben is still in Pittsburgh. And I think Ben's going to stir things up from time to time, depending upon how things go without him. Let's go ahead and take a break. There's been a break in the Daniel Snyder House Oversight Committee impasse, a surprising turn of events that has caused something that is happening as we speak. We'll explain next on this Thursday edition of PFT Live. Well, today's the day that it was supposed to happen, and it is happening. They selected the date of July 28 a few weeks back, but Daniel Snyder and the House Oversight Committee could not come to an agreement on whether he would testify under subpoena. He wanted to testify voluntarily. There are some important differences there. They have reached an agreement that they'll give it a try. This explanation comes from the Washington Post, that basically he's testifying voluntarily and not under subpoena, but he's committed to answer all their questions. And if they're not happy with what he says, if they think he isn't as candid as he needs to be, they'll reserve the right to subpoena him for further testimony later. Chris, I really thought he was going to float around on his super yacht and avoid a subpoena through the rest of the year. I think his desire to go to commander's games ultimately took over and he realized Hey, if I'm back in the country, they're going to serve me with a subpoena, so I better go ahead and work out something that will placate these people for now, and then we'll see how it plays out later. I would think so, or at least, like, you know, stop the fanning of the flames there with Washington, at least to answer some questions instead of this being, like, you know, the constant story for the next two months. When are you going to talk to them? When are you going to talk to them? You disrespected them. You didn't show up. You know, all the the different stories and, and things you hear about that. So, you know, I think it's good for – not only Washington, just but for the NFL. Again, it's an owner. There's been issues there. You know, it's it's he's supposed to be the owner and 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 be the guy that acts the most appropriate. And that's in question a little bit. And of course, other issues within the organization are dysfunctional too. 
The players get held to a pretty tough standard all the time. You know, we know that, and the owner's supposed to be better than that. So, you know, he needs to be there, answer some of these questions, and, you know, hopefully he can soothe over the, the feelings some people have about their team and the NFL and how some of these workplace environments are. I don't think there's any good way out of the maze for him, though, when he starts answering these questions, mm, especially yeah. if he's not going to hide behind non-disclosure agreements. The thinking was he wanted to testify voluntarily because under the terms of these NDAs, you can only force someone to speak if you're subpoenaed. And if he tries that game, if they start asking him about, for example, the allegations against him from over a decade ago that resulted in a multi, not a multi-million, but somewhere under $2 million settlement reportedly, and he says, I can't talk about that, it's subject to a confidentiality agreement, then he's buying himself a subpoena. So he may just be trying to buy himself time to find a way to answer some of these questions and get them off his back. But even the questions that he will answer... I just don't know how it goes well for him. And what it's going to be is a deposition. There'll be a transcript that they ultimately may make available. They made available other transcripts of other witnesses who testified via deposition. It's not going to be something you can watch on C-SPAN in an open meeting room. But still, he's answering questions under oath. If he lies, he's got a problem. And if he tells the truth in response to the right question, he may have a problem as well. But the backdrop against all of this is, Chris, I don't think the NFL has the stomach to take this guy on. I said it time and again during hiatus on PFTOT. The league's afraid of him. They don't want to fight him. They know that he will fight tooth and nail. And that he may fight dirty. He may have some other stuff that he could share yeah. with reporters about other owners. Because right. there are still people who believe, and I'm not saying this is a fact, I'm yeah. saying there are people who believe that... The person who owned the servers on which the John Gruden emails were sent and received, or received at least, he's the one, some believe, that was responsible for those emails being leaked and brought down John Gruden. And it may have been the ultimate warning shot to anybody else who may want to mess with him. I may have some stuff on my servers that I can use to take you down, too. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, yeah, there are signs of maybe he does fight dirty and you don't want to mess with him. I can understand the league being scared of him. I got to think, though, the league has encouraged him to make this step, though, right? Don't you think they'd want him to go in front of Congress and answer some of these questions just to kind of... Unless they want him, unless they, unless they hope he steps in a big enough pile of crap that they, don't have to, that they don't have to be the ones to force him to sell, that other circumstances, you know, like being prosecuted for perjury would force him to sell. I, I just think that their approach to Snyder is don't say a word, don't do a thing. That There was no... Public pressure applied to him to try to testify. Now, maybe behind the scenes, they told him you really don't have a choice here. It's only going to get worse unless you are going to float around on your boat until the Congress changes and the Republicans take over if they prevail and take control and the investigation ends. They've already said it's going to end if they take control. But uh, I, I, just, I don't think I think the league doesn't know how to deal with him. Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem that way. It does. You know, um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't seem like they want to mess with him. And I think, to your point, I think the main point is, hey, as you've been saying all along, that a lot of these owners and teams probably have some dirty laundry, and they're afraid to open Pandora's box here and mess with Daniel Snyder to where it opens up all of their Pandora's boxes, and they got issues, and now the whole league has issues, and it seems like that's why they're kind of being delicate with Daniel Snyder to a degree. 
Yeah, people think that this commander's investigation and the results and the recommendations have been covered up to help Snyder. I think they've been covered up to help anyone else that may find him or herself in the same position that Snyder is now in. Let's go ahead and take a break. As promised yesterday and today, a draft of the best receiving core in the National Football League. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. All those battles that you went through against this team, did you ever think in a million years that, that you would be a Buccaneer? I didn't. I didn't think that. Um, but that's the past. I'm here now. Um, I'm looking forward. Right, I'm not looking backwards. Um, it's a great opportunity for me uh, to be a part of something special um, in the Buccaneer family. Um, just looking forward to getting to work. Julio Jones, his introductory press conference as a brand new member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I noticed on Twitter he is wearing number 85, at least for now, as things shake out. Well, Blaine Gabbert's 11, right? May become available, but he wore two last yeah. year. And is that Kyle Trask's number? I'm is not that, sure. I think you're right. But, it's Kyle Trask, too. He's got two quarterbacks wearing his old numbers. So uh, we'll see how things shake uh, out. That's going to be a tough one. Quarterback ain't going to get digit. He's not going to get bought out for his number. That'll be an interesting one, Mike. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, you there. That's all right. There may be some other single-digit number that comes available. I, I would suspect that pretty much any number except 12 is attainable for uh, Julio Jones, if that's what he wants <laughs> yeah. to do. All right. right. Today's draft. The best receiving core throughout the National Football League now that Julio Jones is a member of the Buccaneers, and they are loaded. Chris, I'll give you the first pick, and uh, maybe it'll be the Buccaneers. No, you know what? I'm going to go with another team with a B. I'm going to go with the Bengals. I'm, I, I prefer them. And Again, I think Jamar Chase is the best receiver in football. I think T. Higgins is really, really damn good and like one of the best big receivers in football. And then you add in the Tyler Boyd, you know, conversation there. And, and to me, they have three legit thousand-yard re receivers type of guys in that offense. You know, so many teams have good two receivers and all of that. They're, they're one of the rare ones that you look at that go, wait, they have three proven commodity receivers, uh, just like the Bucks do a little bit. And I think that's where you're probably going to go next. But I'll take the Bengals first. Think about the stress that puts on a defense, though. Yeah. When you've got Jamar Chase, who's going to command double coverage, and then you've got two other guys, one of them's going to be open. And that's why Mike Brown, the owner of the team, said the other day, wants to keep Joe Burrow and Chase, Higgins, and Boyd long-term. Good luck with keeping all three of those on the same team. I'll go Buccaneers. Mike Evans, future Hall of Famer, only 1,000 yards every season, I think, of his career. Uh, Chris Godwin, Healthy now after the torn ACL, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, and then all the other guys that yeah. are are in a position where they have contributed or could contribute. Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, Jalen Darden. I mean, there's going to be one or two good players who end up out. Brashad Perryman, who did a nice job of replacing Antonio Brown after his little incident last year, got him off the team. So they may be able to trade somebody when when the cutdown day approaches to a team, like we said earlier, the Packers, that would love to maybe upgrade with one of the guys the Bucks are, are ready to get rid of. But that's how deep they are. They actually have that issue, that problem to deal with. they got too many guys who can play at a, an acceptable level. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's going to be interesting. And, man, I mean, you know, we, we said yesterday, you put Julio Godwin and Mike Evans on the field. Man, that's three big receivers who all run pretty well. You know, and, and maybe to your point, too, and I heard somebody in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers say this yesterday. I can't remember who it was. 
you know, he gives them a, a little bit of another big body presence that they miss with Gronk. And, uh, you know, hey, oh, it's third and four. Wait, everybody's covered. It doesn't matter. Julio can box him out and still catch the ball. That's kind of what Gronk used to do for Brady, too. So, you know, I, I could see that. Um, all right. It's, 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 this is tough. I mean, it really is. I, I'm going to go with the Dolphins. I am. I'm going with the Dolphins. First off, I think the, the top two guys are, like, really special. I mean, Tyree Kill is, we know, arguably the most explosive receiver in football. Jalen Waddle's that far behind it. And then you add in Cedric Wilson to go along with that. Trent Sherfield, not bad, getting him from the 49ers. And then just a Muhammad Sanu to round out the group. You know, that's pretty damn good. That really is. And, you know, you add in, you know, that's what's interesting about this exercise, too. You add in Gasecki, you know, we're not doing that tight end still. But it just, it shows you there is some talent there. And I, I like that group down in Miami. This really is difficult because there are a lot of teams that have really good receiving core. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. We talked about him earlier. Now that he's healthy, now that Michael Thomas is back, mm. I'll put the Saints in this spot. It all hinges on Thomas being the guy that he was in 2019. But if he's even close to that, you got Chris Olave. They made a huge investment to get him in the draft. They got Jarvis Landry. It's I easy know. to forget I they know. got Jarvis Landry. Yeah. But you take those three alone – uh, and and then you still have Traquan Smith and Marquez right. Callaway. Yeah, you you, you got a you got group. a pretty good five deep at receiver in New Orleans. You just hope your quarterback can get the ball to the open man at the right time. Agreed, though that it is. It's it's they quietly did a really good job of like bolstering that that position there. And and yeah, I Mike, I was I'm with you there. I, I was thinking about it. They might have been my next pick. They're one of those teams that I do think you know people are a little sleeping on, especially with a healthy Michael Thomas. The the Saints are a team. They could be anywhere from Super Bowl contender to just complete washout. There are so many variables as we go from Sean Payton to Dennis Allen and Jameis Winston at quarterback. It can work incredibly well, or it can just completely collapse. Let's take a break. We'll do round three of the best receiving core in the NFL draft when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, so far, there we are. Chris has the Bengals and the Dolphins. I've got the Bucks and the Saints. Round three, best receiver core in the NFL. Chris, you're up. Yeah, there's, this is tough. It really is. I, I don't even know exactly where I'm going to go here. I mean, I think I know where I'm going to go. I'll, I will say, as I go through this exercise, and you know, I, I, I look at the Chiefs, I think about them a little bit. I do, because they have four guys, you know, and it's a, it's a true core. It might not be one guy, superstar like type of guy. The Eagles, A.J. Brown, and Devontae Smith, and Quez Watkins is interesting to me. I'm ultimately, I'm going to go with the Chargers here. I am. I'm going to go with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, what they do. They've been one of the best duos in the game for a long time. And then the guys that kind of support them or, or you know, the, the supporting cast and, and Guyton and Josh Palmer, they're damn good too. I mean, they can make big plays and they got talent. So I'll go with the, the, the Chargers receiving core. I know what you're going to do when I say this, and you're probably already getting ready to blow the horn But... You take the Rams offense, and Justin Jefferson told us this at the Super Bowl. He's the Cooper Cup of that offense. They're going to move him all over the place. He's talking about 2,000 yards this year. I don't really like that chatter because I think you may jinx yourself. But if anybody can do it, he can. Adam Thielen still got gas in the tank. K.J. Osborne was very good at the number three last year. They really like B.C. Johnson. He just had injury issues. And I'm, I'm adding them just on that little sliver of possibility that the Vikings are the team that swoops in to snag OBJ. Put him together with an LSU guy and Justin Jefferson. 
put him with Kevin O'Connell, and you add him to an offense where nobody's going to be paying attention to him with Justin Jefferson on the field, and Beckham could have a huge impact on that Vikings team if they wake up and decide this is the guy we need. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it is. I, I expect their offense to be better in the passing game, that's for sure. Those two guys at receiver are really damn good. You're right, Osborne is good as well. Uh, I, I'm, OBJ is going to be one of those wild cards here for the 2022 season. Where he ends up might just be enough to push a team into a next level where we view them differently. It'd be interesting to see where he goes. All right, that's it for today. I'd love to talk about that now, but we're out of time. Maybe we'll talk about it on Friday. When Not Christmas me. I won't be here. See ya. See ya.